even if you have diversity, it's not an endpoint, but it is an outcome, meaning that if you're doing these things right and robustly internally, if you're cultivating an environment where folks can show up as their, themselves, and if you're making equitable, meaning fair and objective decisions about people's performance and potential, then you should see a workforce that looks like you know the places where you hire because you're able to bring those folks in and you're able to keep them happy. That was Dr. Aaron Thomas, head of talent acquisition and head of diversity, inclusion, and belonging for Upwork. Yes, two jobs, one person, but an incredibly dynamic and driven person. And we're going to get into all of that in today's episode. Aaron and I explore what drew her to the field to begin with, uh, what she's learned along the way, how recruiting teams can be thinking about designing equitable systems and programs today, and go behind the scenes into her epic Twitter threads. So we'll be right back with that conversation after a brief word from our sponsor. Redefining HR one podcast at a time. Support for the Redefining HR podcast comes from PIN. PIN is building the world's first employee-centric communications tool, enabling your employees to automatically receive helpful messages at key moments throughout their journey from onboarding to promotions and everywhere in between. PIN helps companies battle communication overload and puts your employees in control over when and how they receive information. Go to pinhq.com for more information. That's P-Y-N-H-Q.com. And reinvent employee communications for the distributed workplace. And now, onto the show. Hey everyone, welcome to Redefining HR Podcast. I am your host, Lars Schmidt, and today I am really excited to be joined by Dr. Aaron Thomas. Aaron is the Head of Talent Acquisition and Head of Diversity, Inclusion, and Belonging at Upwork, and I have so many questions for her. I'm really excited to dig into this conversation. So let me turn it over to her. Aaron, thanks so much for coming on the show. Uh, if you wouldn't mind, why don't you give the listeners an uh, introduction and background on you? Sure. Thanks so much for having me, Lars. Hi, everyone. I'm Erin Thomas. As Lars said, I lead talent acquisition and dibs at Upwork, and I'm super excited to chat more about my path to this role and what we're working on. Yeah. And so I want to I want to kind of start off with some definitions because we're going to cover a lot of ground here. You know, we use the term dibs under your title, diversity, inclusion and belonging as a as a you know diversity inclusion practitioner. What how do you kind of how do you use these terms? How do you define them? What what should listeners be thinking about contextually as as you know they as we explore some of these words and some of the work in the podcast? Sure. I really appreciate this question because, you know, we use a lot of acronyms in this space and the acronyms between companies differ and when we bundle things together and we're not even using whole words, the meaning gets really lost. For me, it's really important in my role to really pull out each letter in that acronym. So I start at the end and it's sort of like head of bid, but that's not as tip of your tongue as dibs, I think. <laughs> um, but if, when I think about uh, belonging, you know, we're really defining that at Upwork as this feeling of fit that folks either have or they don't, or perhaps they have it in some areas of the company and not in others. And importantly, that feeling has to be this feeling of ease without having to give up meaningful aspects of who they are in order to do their best work. And so um, that's our working definition uh, for that word in the acronym. 
inclusion is something different. Inclusion is really about a practice. And we think about inclusion as both macro and micro level habits and behaviors. It's how we show up to make decisions about people's professional outcomes. And so on the micro level, it's everything as seemingly small as you know, who gets invited to present at an all-hands meeting or who gets one of our cultural awards. At the macro level, it's the things that I think we traditionally think about in this space, like whom we hire, uh, whom we promote, whom we you know, exit from the organization. And then diversity, I like to think about as an outcome. It's not the only outcome, of course, because I think of this all as a cycle, right? Even if yeah. you have diversity, it's not an endpoint. Um but it is an outcome, meaning that if you're doing these things right and robustly internally, if you're cultivating an environment where folks can show up as their, themselves, and if you're making equitable, meaning fair and objective decisions about people's performance and potential, then you should see a workforce that looks like you know the places where you hire because um, you're able to bring those folks in and you're able to keep them happy. Yeah, well, I appreciate uh, I appreciate the definitions. I think that'll be uh, definitely helpful for listeners as we dig into this conversation. And I like the way that you actually define them in reverse order in terms of like <laughs> foundational. That that makes a lot of sense, and I think that that framing uh, and context is helpful. You know, for you, I know you've been you've been working in this space your entire career. When did you know you wanted to dedicate your career to diversity, inclusion, and belonging? Hmm. I knew I wanted to be a psychologist at around age ten. I was always really intellectually curious about people. And when I learned that there's a whole science around people, I landed on psychology without knowing what that meant. And so, you know, each milestone of education, I got closer and closer to where I am today. I entered graduate school with an explicit goal to not take the traditional path, which was to stay in academia and to research and to teach and be a professor, uh, in case you can't hear in my voice, it's not really my speed or style. Uh, I just never saw that as fulfilling for me or, or really enough for kind of the impact I wanted to have back in the real world, so to speak. And so I did that without there really being this DEI profession that there is today and without there really being much coaching in academia around what an applied career could look like. Now, fortunately, that's changing a bit in the academy because there just simply aren't enough professor jobs. But, you know, back when I was trying to do this for myself, I just knew I wanted to bridge the research with the practice and found a great opportunity as I finished up my doctorate uh, within the federal government here in the U.S. And that was my first stepping stone into applying what I had been researching and teaching about with real people trying to do other work and, you know, trying to leverage my knowledge, my insights, my understanding to maximize that work. And then each step after that, I got more and more entrenched into this space. And I'm super excited that now it is a career um, because, you know, I think there have been folks out here for, for decades, even, of course, prior to me, who have been trying to shape what this could look like to do progressive talent work within the context of fast-moving organizations. And now, you know, there's, there's a shift in this industry that I'm super excited to be a part of. Yeah, and I do want to get into that shift. I want to get into your your kind of unique role at Upwork. Uh, but before we even get to Upwork, when you you know you so when you when you left school, you you were kind of in a corporate role, heading up DEI, and then you moved into a consulting 
role. And, you know, in that role, you worked with a range of companies, you know, so as opposed to having that mono view, if you will, of, of you know, a particular company and kind of where they were and where they weren't, you know, now you're able to, to experience that at scale in some ways, right? We are working with a range of different companies who are at different stages of, of advancement and embracement as it relates to building inclusive practices. What was that experience like? Like what, what, how did that kind of shape your views on the field now that you were working with, uh, you know, a broader range of companies and, you know, seeing where we were making progress and, and, you know, where we were still stuck. That experience was hugely formative for me personally as a practitioner. You know, I was able to lift up my purview of this landscape and to your point, like really see across industries and sizes and geographies, not just what were companies getting right or what they were getting wrong, but just how were they approaching their problem sets and what were kind of the common recycled practices that you tend to see everywhere. And that was yeah. just really interesting to me. I, you know, I think in some cases it was disillusioning, but in other cases it really helped me hone my barometer for the companies that just seemed to have promise and potential for really having an impact on not only the lives and outcomes of the folks whom they employed, but, you know, on the consumers and clients and customers they served. And there weren't that many companies like that. I think everyone was trying. Um, but there, I think it takes something really special to disrupt and sort of shift the paradigm of DEI work because it has been a lot of the same for decades, yeah. which is why yeah. I think we haven't really moved the needle. Um, I identified three things for myself that were really important for me going back in-house. You know, being transient as an external consultant was really fun, very helpful for me. I really honed my my skill set. Um, and, and developed tools that are very valuable in-house. But I really missed just being in the day-to-day and ebbing and flowing with an organization, which, you know, I think really operates like an organism. It's different every single day, every single hour. It's so dynamic. And there's just no way, in my belief, that an external consultant can get into all of those grooves and really understand what it's like to be in that org. And so, um, for me, you know, working across dozens of companies, there were three things I was looking for coming back in-house. One was a really, really strong and believable why. And, you know, for some companies, that's a mission statement or values. Um, it certainly works here at Upwork. You know, our mission is to create economic opportunities so people have better lives. And as a dibs leader, I can work with that, right? Like I can create yeah. a very direct segue from that to <laughs> right. DEI work, whereas if you're in a consumer goods company selling cereal, you can you can do it, but it's harder, right? It's a harder sell. And I've done that work before, but at this stage of my career, I wasn't trying to do all of those gymnastics. I wanted to come into a company where I didn't have to really prove why I was there. I could just extend from the work that the company already did. Um, the second thing I learned externally and that I was looking for internally as I was you know, looking for my current role was there's really no substitute for strong leaders. And leaders aren't sufficient for enacting culture change, but they are necessary. Um, no matter how flat your org is, no matter how you know small, you need folks at the top who care and who are invested. And it's just impossible to fake. And so I was looking for that as well. And the third thing that I really discovered while working externally was that you really need an organization that has a nice combination of what's commonly called sort of heads, hearts, and hands. So you need a, a company that 
you know, on the head side is going to follow the research and the data and and listen to the science of this work, be it, you know, internal data or external data. Um, the heart is a company that forges relationships where people care about each other and you're working, you know, together towards common goals. And the hands is actually rolling up your sleeves and doing the work. And I think it's hard to find an organization that has all of those and has them at the right moments. Uh, but I think those are critical ingredients for doing meaningful dips work. Well, no, that's a, uh, that's great context. And that also helps. It's a good kind of segue into your, your current role and kind of coming into Upwork a little over a year ago, you came in running dibs. Uh, your role now is running dibs and running TA. So like, what is that? What does that look like for you? Is that, is it, is it two seats? Are they blended? Like what is, how is that structured there? Yeah, it's two seats, one person. So it's interesting because I sort of like- I was worried about that. I was worried about that. I was yeah. like, oh man, this is, this, is, this is two big jobs that one person is running. It's cool though. I really like it. I mean, I think it's really important and I, I said it from day one that we conceive of these as still two different functions, but there's a lot of overlap. You know, I'd say probably 90, 95% of hiring is equity work, which is why I was so keen and excited and eager to take on this additional role. Uh, but there's also pieces of dibs work that is not hiring work. And so I, I didn't even try to combine the teams. It just do doesn't make a ton of sense to me. Um, but they definitely crosstalk and cross, you know, map to each other. And it's great because what it means is that our dibs goals speak to our hiring goals. It means that equity is, you know, this front end input to our hiring practices and decisions. And uh, it's it's really seamless. And that's sort of the model that we carved out when I joined the company was, you know, kind of overlaying onto these more legacy or traditional talent functions really up-leveling the equity-mindedness, the rigor, the discipline embedded within those functions and then rolling out because there's no shortage of work to do. I don't expect to be in that role forever. I think, you know, we get things to a better place that aren't commonly taught in traditional functions um, within the HR space. And then once they're well-oiled and running, I can go on to the next part of the business that might need a little booster shot. Yeah, and I want to I want to go back to something you mentioned earlier in the podcast about uh, you know kind of the how the work of dibs um, has not so much shifted but it was impacted by last year and I think we you know we all went through something uh, collectively after George Floyd's murder and the you know the the height the heightened reckoning and conversations around inequity and social justice that were that were triggered by that and and obviously you know for there, there's the contrast between kind of moments and movements and this being kind of a, a, a moment in a broader movement. But I'm curious, you know, now we're in 2021, we, we have some distance between some of the initial kind of organizations making public pledges and, you know, shifting avatars and, you know, some <laughs> things that were, you know, probably just cosmetic versus real. Like, how do you, how do you survey the landscape uh, today, kind of on a corporate side in terms of, you know, companies that are, that are either making those commitments, uh, making, you know, real change or, or was it more of, you know, trying to kind of score PR points in that moment that didn't really have any substance beyond it? Mm, I'll say I'm cautiously hopeful. You know, I think, I think, I think, you know, 
one time we'll just have to tell. But two, I think most companies are trying. I think most companies have been trying for some time. What to me seemed promising coming out of 2020 was that the way in which companies are trying is more robust and high potential than before. And I think part of that comes with, you know, this wake-up call, as you mentioned, to everything they've been missing. Um, and, you know, goal and target setting that isn't superficial, but is actually very robust and high integrity. But I'm seeing much tighter approaches from companies who are earnest in this work. And so that, that to me is a silver lining. I think the more exciting thing, though, frankly, is what we're seeing not from employers, but from employees and team members across the globe, right? We're in a we're in a, a constrained economy, and so there's not so much choice and freedom for those folks to vote with their feet, but we are seeing a much more vocal labor market speaking up about either what their company is trying to do well or just as, if not more importantly, what their company missed the mark on during that critical moment of crisis and need. And what I am very excited about is, you know, once this pandemic is over and uh, you know, choice becomes less constrained. Uh, you know, I anticipate we're going to see this migration happening um, amongst workers, uh, really, who have been paying attention to how companies showed up or didn't during that time. And I, I think that, to me, is the beauty of this work, and that's the promise of you know, a democratized uh, workforce and labor market. We want folks to have freedom in that decision-making, to have dignity and humanity in the work they do, and to not be, you know, really hamstrung in where it is they spend the majority of their waking hours. And to tip the scales in favor of individuals is, you know, it makes this dibs practitioner very giddy. Yeah. Well, let's, uh, I want to, I want to explore that giddiness a, a little bit. Cause I think, uh, <laughs> for, uh, for those of you that are listening that are on Twitter, if you're not following Aaron on Twitter, uh, fix that immediately, like pause this, go <laughs> hop on Twitter, give her a follow, hop back. Uh, you know, one of the things that, uh, that I like about the way that you use Twitter is you're incredibly, uh, forthcoming and sharing really meaningful, but also actionable threads on, on how to enhance your your dibs practices, your thinking, your approaches, uh, and and when I say threads, you know, it, it's easy to fire off a tweet with a thought, and that thought might be well thought out, and it might be actionable and helpful, uh, but there's always so much you could really convey in 280 characters, and so uh, when when you I want to kind of get inside one of your threads, like what what triggers you to kind of say, you know what? This is a thread. I, I have something to say and I've got to, because the way you put it together, the way you convey your ideas and the way the, the whole thread uh, is just a, a, a masterclass of both insight and action. Uh, I, I want to hear like the inside story, like how, how do those threads come together? <laughs> I'll start by saying that Twitter is a strange place. And <laughs> I, um, you know, to your point around the character limit, I've been on Twitter, I think, technically for several years, and it wasn't until a year ago that I really started to be active on it because of the character limit. Like, I just, there's no, I don't think there's any way to convey anything meaningful in whatever it is, 280 characters. But as soon as I discovered threads, I was like, oh, I can just keep going. 
So <laughs> that real estate is very helpful to someone like me. Yeah. Um, I'll say, you know, there are two, I would say, two types of posts that I publish. One is just open sourcing to your to your point, the thought behind or the approaches that we've taken at Upwork. And wherever we can, we try to just lift the veil on not just wins and you know failures or setbacks in our work, but how did we come to the conclusions that we came to? And I think, you know, doing this work in the light is one of the greatest areas of promise for the business community, you know, not being so proprietary about people work and talent strategy, but really helping each other so that we're not regurgitating purported best practices or just, again, recycling the same mistakes that the company down the street is making. I just think that's really important. So that's that's one type of, of thread. And so I don't have to really be inspired by that. I, you know, when we create great work product or memos uh, at Upwork, I think about, okay, what of this can I scrub, obviously maintain our uh, anonymity and confidentiality, but also share with others who could use this. And so those are pretty straightforward. The other type of thread is really something that I need to work through on my own. Um, and so I'm not sitting down and like thinking as I write. I'm usually ruminating on something sticky or nuanced for a few days or a week. And I I use writing to just help me resolve tension points and get to clarity about what I think about something. And so I'm usually writing it in my head for several days. And then if I wake up Sunday morning and I've got enough closure to post it, then I do. Importantly, if I don't have enough closure or I'm not feeling inspired, then I don't post. And I think that's important too. Um, And it took me, you know, it took me like several months into being active and getting this following to realize like, listen, I have many jobs. I don't need to be out here tweeting every Sunday. Like I don't, I don't, (laughs) if I can, great, but I also don't owe that to anyone. And that was just like an important aha moment for me just to protect my own weekend and time off, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that open source piece because I think that it, uh, your comment applies so broadly to the field. Like to me, as I look at the evolution of, of HR and people ops and the whole talent space, the embrace of open source and moving away from silos and kind of proprietary hoarded practice practices is probably the single most transformational shift that's happened in our space that's allowing us to begin really accelerating uh, our embrace of more uh, you know innovative and and inclusive and impactful practices. Uh, and so, you know, hat tip to you for that, because obviously, uh, you know, you don't have to do that. There's no obligation to do that, to, to share and kind of work out loud, as they say. Uh, but you choose to. And, uh, and you know, I appreciate it. I know a lot of other people do. Um, one of the things that I want to, so a lot of your, your threads, uh, you know, come back to the idea of equitable hiring practices. And obviously in your kind of dual roles right now, that's where you're, you're spending a lot of your time. Um, if you were to, you know, there's so much, so much of our practices are rooted in legacy, right? That's we're doing this way because this is the way we've always done it, or it's a slightly iterated version of that thing we did five years ago. Uh, and, and rarely are we kind of tearing everything down to build it back up the right way. And so, you know, I, I'm curious if, if there's a listener out there who maybe is uh, fortunate to be in that position, they're coming into a new role where they're able to really kind of build the the function from the ground up or have like 
a, a real kind of uproot and uplift exercise in their process. What advice would you have for them? Like if for somebody out there kind of building a recruiting process from the ground up today, if they really want to build it in a way that is designed to produce equitable outcomes and have equitable practices, what would it look like? It's such a huge question. And I, I think it all comes back to spaciousness, spaciousness within your team, if you're you know, on, on that recruiting team, but also spaciousness around the team so that, you know, the TA team's operations aren't constrained or overly constricted. And I can talk about this in a few ways. I mean, one is I've been talking with a lot of recruiting leaders because I'm hiring right now. And it's been really interesting to me to chat with folks who just don't have insight ahead of time into what the needs of the business will be. And so, you know, if you're running a recruiting function and you're all you're doing is reacting to imminent needs, there's not the spaciousness you need to one build a diverse and, you know, high quality pipeline, um, two to go out and fish in different ponds and cast a wider net and all of those, you know, buzz terms. Um, and three, just like really widen your aperture for what excellence looks like. If you needed that person six months ago, you're not going to be liberated enough to take the time it takes to, to your point, you know, dismantle the prototypes of what you believe the ideal person looks like in that role. And so you're working under these, again, constraints that really force your hand and don't actually move the needle on objective decision-making and diversity as an outcome um, that is the underpinning of equity work. So, you know, we could talk about kind of the stages of the hiring process, but I think the scaffolding around the recruiting function is probably more important than what the recruiting function actually does. You need the business working with you, really approaching talent strategically uh, as opposed to as a commodity, which, you know, when you're working under that sort of um, assembly line mentality, it can be really easy to see talent as interchangeable and not really honor the candidates who are coming through. And so, you know, if I think about like the ideal process, it's one that truly centers candidates and puts them on equal footing uh, as as your function and as your workplace so that it's truly a matchmaking exercise versus you know, this cranking, uh, this cranking through to find the the person who will do uh, within the time limits that you have. Um, so we could get into the weeds, but I, I really want to scale back because I think so many recruiting teams are not set up in that type of environment. And so uh, there's not, there's not a ton of magic you can make when you can't plan and you can't, you know, again, strategize and really get out there. Yeah. I mean, that's such a good point. I think uh, if you talk to any CEO, they will say that they want a transformational recruiting team. You know, recruiting is one of our most important capabilities as an organization. It's vital to our growth and success. Uh, we've got to get the right people in the right seats. Uh, and it's great to say that. But if they're not, as you say, kind of putting the scaffolding around them, having them involved in strategic workforce decisions, giving them visibility into, uh, you know, business plans and, you know, through that hiring plans, it's a lot harder and in a lot of ways almost impossible for the recruiting team to be really thoughtful and proactive around, you know, 
building their 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 pipeline and their outreach and their campaigns and every aspect of how they recruit uh, to account for that. And so I, I think that's uh, you know for business leaders that are listening, uh, a lot of this you know this isn't just your recruiting team. You need to you need to give them the space. Uh, to allow them to have that kind of an impact. So I, I, I'm, I'm so glad you framed it that way because I think it's something that we, you know, it's too often we get you know, so narrowed in on recruiting. What can recruiting do differently? What could recruiting change? Uh, and that's not always the case if they don't have the, you know, the space around them. Uh, spaciousness, I believe, how you framed it. I, I like that. Uh, I think that's really important. Um, I want to get into, you know, I, I mentioned, uh, you know, being a fan of your, your Twitter threads and a lot of the resources of the content that you share and how that's definitely... Uh, inspired my thinking and my perspective. Who inspires you? I'm inspired by really small moments. Um, I think this, I don't know, it's probably tied to my training as a social scientist, but what led me there is just, I think, who I am as a person. I see this a lot in my three-year-old son as well. So I just think there's some of this that is just nature. Um, And what that is, is just uh, really navigating my life as sort of this anthropologist where I'm always paying attention to, you know, what's happening around me, the environments I'm in, the people in those environments, and sort of observing from afar. I'm also, of course, especially being in-house, always trying to, you know, insert myself into those environments and really, you know, feel out what it's like to be in those spaces and contexts. But I'm also kind of observing myself uh, as an individual and paying attention to uh, how these environments are like making me feel or changing my behavior. So this is, it's very, it's a very present way of just navigating my work. And it's in those like really small moments. So beyond that beautifully designed recruiting process or beyond, you know, the protocols that you're pushing uh, for performance management, it's the day-to-day foibles and fumbles and miscommunications and small wins that really intrigue me because I think that's where this work actually happens. I think it it really is in those like really imperceptible shifts that again, I think you can only get in-house and I've, I've missed this uh, for several years and I'm really happy to be a part of it again in such a dynamic (laughs) organization. But those moments like really intrigue me and, and they're challenging too, because I dig into them and I ask questions. I ask a lot of questions. I'm very annoying. I, you know, I'm always asking like, hey, like what happened here? And it's not a confrontation. I am genuinely curious about, huh, like how did this data point get, you know, misreported? Or, huh, like how did we miss this piece of the protocol that we designed? Or what was happening here? Huh, how did you, how were you successful in hiring these five people in such short order who all bring something different to the team? Like I'm just genuinely intrigued by those small moments and, um, you know, I think that's like really what I dig into in my Twitter threads. Uh, in terms of people, there are definitely thought leaders in this space that I that I pay attention to. I, I love Aubrey Blanche and Michelle Kim um, as a couple folks that I follow, you know, pretty regularly. Um, but I also work, uh, you know, multidisciplinary, multidisciplinarily. That's a hard one to say. Um, <laughs> that is. That is. <laughs> <laughs> that was tough. But I think it's also important to get out of this work, you know, and just to be yeah. inspired by like the, the things around you that are just not about dibs and difference. Because one, that's just incredibly exhausting emotionally. Um, yeah. But two, because there's so much more to life, and you can bring those other things that seem totally 
you know, adjacent back into your work. Um, can I also, though, just poke poke a little bit at the word inspire? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I think, like, to your point, I hope that, you know, sharing my work does more than inspire people. You know, I, I try to share things that people can change uh, or think about differently. And so inspiration is great, but only if it's a springboard for, you know, motivation that propels people to take action. And so I just want to make sure that the folks who are reading my threads aren't just like passively reading and laughing at my my gifts because they are funny. But, (laughs) you know, I want you to go – back to work on Monday and try something new or start a conversation. And that to me is like the ultimate reward. And that's, that's what I'm hoping to bring. Yeah. Well, I, I can, I can only speak directly to that for myself, but I think, uh, you know, for your threads, and I think a lot of what you shared, it's both been inspiring, but inspiring to act and to think differently and to even change behavior uh, in some cases. And so I, I think uh, I would imagine I'm not the only one who's, uh, who's interpreting some of your content in that way. So, uh, you know, appreciate the work you're doing, appreciate the the conversations and the action that you're driving. Um, last question for you, as you know, a lot of the listeners here are in HR and recruiting. Uh, I know you're hiring, you're growing your team. So let's, let's plug your jobs. What are you, what are you hiring for right now? Sure. Well, I'm currently looking for a director of talent acquisition. So if you want to partner with me to continue to, you know, really refine and scale our disciplined hiring practices, please check out our website. I'm also hiring for a director of diversity change management. So to this point of, you know, we can't just talk and inspire, we have to really get to work. Uh, I realized that we really were missing this uh, operator on the dib side of the house. And I'm like really excited about bringing in some OD or OB or IO uh, expertise uh, to help us really uh, operationalize that work. And then beyond that, if you, within your org or within your personal networks, know folks who are in the broader kind of product and experience and design spaces, please head on over to our website. Our new CPEO is really shaking things up, and I'm super excited about the work he's doing to really scale equity on Upwork, not just at Upwork, so on the platform and in our marketplace. Um, So even if you don't see an open role, there's a place on our site where you can give us your information and start that virtual handshake with our recruiting team uh, because we're really excited to get to know folks. All right, Aaron. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show and sharing your wisdom and experience and insights. And uh, if you did not pause the episode earlier when I recommended it to follow Aaron on Twitter, you can find her at Aaron L. Thomas, Ph.D., and uh, go rectify that follow situation right now. Thanks, Lars. It's been great. Thanks for tuning into this episode of Redefining HR. For more information on the podcast, past episodes, future guests, the Redefining HR book, or free resources, be sure to check out redefininghr.com. And if you dig this podcast, why don't you share it with your CEO, your executive team, and your friends to help them discover what Redefining HR is all about. If you really dig this podcast, I'd love for you to leave a review on whatever podcast delivery vehicle your ears prefer. See you next week.